welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Kiki's Delivery Service. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? Kiki's Delivery Service is a 1989 Japanese movie. It was written, produced, and directed by Hayao Miyazaki and animated by Studio Ghibli. It was released in Japanese in 1989. It was released in America with the dubbed dubbed Disney version in 1998. The dubbed version that we watched stars Kristen Dunst, Phil Hartman, Tress McNeil, Janine Garofalo, Matthew Lawrence, as well as a few others. Paul, will you tell us a little bit about the plot of Kiki's Delivery Service? 13-year-old witch Kiki leaves home for a year of independent training. She makes her home in a town by the sea where she starts a delivery service since her only witch skill is flying. While she's there, she develops self-doubt and her flying skills fade But when she needs to fly in a crisis to save a friend, she rediscovers her ability and learns to trust in herself. The end. And there's a cat. And there's a cat who talks and then doesn't talk. Yeah. Gigi is the best. (laughs) We'll get to that. Yeah. So objectively, how good of a movie is Kiki's Delivery Service? And we're going to, I mean, all the way through... We'll probably occasionally make reference to that we know there are different versions and subtitles and dubs and whatever, but in general, we're always going to just be talking about the dubbed version that we watched. Yeah. So how good of a movie is this? It's great. I mean, it's got the Studio Ghibli animation style Mm -hmm. is just always phenomenal, especially for the time. Mm-hmm. It is like a beautiful painting. Yeah. The backgrounds of this, much like Totoro, it's just gorgeous. Yeah. And then it's a fun story. Yeah. It's a, it's not, it's Japanese. And so it's not your typical, like we said with Totoro, it's not your typical Western story where there's a this and a that and a climax and a, you know, it does have a little more of that than Totoro does. Yeah. But it's really a, just a coming-of-age story for a young witch. And nothing is really explained. Yeah. In terms of, like, they just have witches in this world. But, yeah, it's just a sweet, heartwarming story. I want to touch on some of those things and just add my voice to... The animation is, like, so good, Mm -hmm. right? In its style, there's nobody better than Studio Ghibli, right? And, like, I don't think this is Studio Ghibli's most beautiful movie, but I think it's gorgeous. And, like, everything from, like, the beauty of the backdrops, but also the detail that they add to everything, like, the little... It's a Studio Ghibli trademark, or 
or uh, trademark isn't really the right word, but just hallmark. It's a hallmark of Studio Ghibli, the little detail moments of things like when Kiki goes to collect the firewood and one of the logs drops and she pushes it out of the way with her feet. That's just a little bit of character business that I feel like, you know, 99 animated movies out of 100 wouldn't bother with. Mm-hmm. It's true. And it's partly detail and it's partly pacing. Like a Studio Ghibli movie, stuff happens, but also it's important in Studio Ghibli movies to like take time and the moments matter. Mm-hmm. To show something as simple as, it's raining, so they focus on a plant on the windowsill that has water dripping onto one of the leaves for a while. Yeah. Like probably 30 seconds on that plant. Yeah. Which is a lot in an animated movie. Or so many things of that nature. like, mm-hmm. And it really gives it a kind of gentle pace and also a richness of detail. Yeah. That are both hallmarks of Studio Ghibli particularly. Mm-hmm. I think kind of hallmarks of uh, Japanese animation more than Western. Mm-hmm. But Studio Ghibli especially. Mm-hmm. So the animation is so good. And the story too, I want to add my voice also to like... Another thing about Studio Ghibli, they don't explain... Miyazaki does not explain more than he needs to. And some might say... He explains less than he needs to sometimes. Yeah. So, like, we'll get to this. I think the appropriate time to get to this is in more depth is in the way too seriously. But things like why doesn't, why does Kiki lose her magic? And why does she regain it again? And why does Gigi stop talking and not start again? I think there are answers to those questions, but they're not easy answers. And they're not explained to us you got to, like, work a little bit to put the pieces together, especially mm-hmm. as a kid. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's a hallmark of uh, trusting the audience to be smart enough to figure things out and also to, like, to borrow a line from uh, Noah Hawley, who makes the show that we talk about in other, our other podcast, Clockworks. I feel like Miyazaki, like Noah Hawley, has the attitude of, I don't need you to understand it, I just need you to experience it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. His movies are definitely an experience. And as an experience, Kiki's Delivery Service is, I think, really well made, really well done. Mm-hmm. How do you like these uh, American voice actors? I, well, I mean, let's start with Kristen Dunst, mm-hmm. who is probably quite young when this movie was made. It's 98, right? Yeah. I mean, she was a child actor for a long time. I think she does fine. She does great. She does uh, a little yelly at points. Yeah. But mostly I quite enjoy her voice work. Um, Phil Hartman, however, I love in this role. Yeah. And it's just... uh, I don't know exactly, like, I want to say, like, it's the icing on the cake, or but, like, it's, this was his last role, mm-hmm. the last movie that was released before he died, or after he died, I'm sure, um, mm-hmm. the last thing he recorded, and so it makes it a bit bittersweet listening to his voice in this, because it's so well done, it's hilarious, it's uh, 
Gigi is just a great character. And then to think that he didn't get to do anything else. Yep. It's hard to think about. It is. I agree. He's really good in this. Honestly, I think that uh, Kristen Dunst is my least favorite of the voice actors in this movie. I don't think she does a bad job. I think she does a good job. I don't know that I would go so far as to say she does a great job. But I think she does a good, better than fine. She does a good job. Mm-hmm. Most of the other actors, I think, are doing really, really good. She's like a little bit in the way that Kristen Dunst can be, even in her on-screen performances. Sometimes it works really well, and sometimes I maybe it's a taste thing. She can be a little bit, uh, alternate between flat and yelly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's her thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people like it. It's not a thing of hers that I love. And in this, the way that she plays, uh, the way that she plays Kiki sometimes, like when Kiki's really depressed, I think it works. But when Kiki's kind of just supposed to be neutral, she kind of plays her a little bit like this, like, okay, I'm Kiki, Mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's not to say I don't think she does a good job. I don't know. My complaints kind of sound petty to myself. So, (laughs) uh, I really like Tress McNeil who plays Osano. I really like her a lot. Mm -hmm. I think he's great. Mm -hmm. And, uh. Matthew Lawrence as as Tombo, I think does a great job too. Yeah. And Janine Garofalo as Ursula. Yes. Also, I think (laughs) does really well. Yeah. So on the whole, I think the vocal performances are really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have a little bit of the like early dub, not not that it's really early, but early Studio Ghibli dubs of like uh, sometimes a little bit of filler added to the dialogue to match up with the voices. Yeah, exactly. The there are some definitely some moments of not quite matching the mouths. Or like kind of saying nonsense or ungrammatical things so that you'll have enough syllables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a lot, but there are a few moments. Yeah. Like I especially think of one where Kiki is like, you look just like your mother when she was young. I'm glad about that. And the about that is like, uh. <laughs> yeah. Anything else about this movie you want to draw attention to that you think is particularly well done? I think the characters are fun. I think that what we... We get really get a good sense of who these people all are, especially Tombo and Kiki. Yeah, but even Ursula and Asano and... Yeah. Ursula's husband, Fukuo, who has one short line in the entire movie, but like, man, what a well-drawn character that I have such a good sense of who this person is, although he never talks. Yeah, exactly. It's just a really well done, like, yeah, like I just get attached to these characters right away and you really feel a strong sense of who they are and what they want and all that stuff. And I, I just, yeah. Kiki is one of my favorite characters in all of Studio Ghibli. So we, I think, are already skirting into it. So let, let's say outright that we're doing this. Apart from the objective judgments, how much do you enjoy Kiki's delivery service? Quite a lot. I have seen it numerous times, lots of times. It's one of the, like, Studio Miyazaki has 
several movies, and the two, Totoro and Kiki, are the two that are very uh, child, young child oriented. And so uh, we've been watching these two movies with our kids since our kids were like, you know, three years old. Because there's nothing in them that scares them. There's nothing in them that's uh, creepy. Whereas something like Spirited Away or, I mean, Princess Mononoke, way more, have creepy and scary elements in them. So we haven't watched those quite yet. But, but these two are so gentle and sweet and just like a heartwarming story, but also beautiful and fun to watch. And as an adult, I like... To put it clearly, I did not fall asleep at all. (laughs) And I am tired today. (laughs) But I did not fall asleep for Kiki. (laughs) And um, in terms of like even like favorites of mine, I love Gigi, that (laughs) cat. I know that uh, Phil Hartman's portrayal is different than the Japanese portrayal. And I've watched it subbed a few times. But I just love Phil Hartman's portrayal, and I love the sarcastic cat, and every line, like, literally every time Gigi does anything, I'm laughing. I'm giggling to myself, and the kids are like, you know, Mom, it's enough. But <laughs> I just love that cat. I was looking up cross-stitch patterns of him afterwards. <laughs> he, like, maybe make one. Huh? But that's me. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think, what what do you like about Kiki? I totally like not to be uh, unoriginal, but I Kiki's delivery service is one of my favorites too. I think your affection for Kiki's delivery service is stronger than mine. Not because I don't love it, but because you love it so much. Mm-hmm. You know, I in terms of my like just warm, happy feelings for enjoying watching a movie, I would put Kiki's Delivery Service uh, behind Totoro and Spirited Away. And, but that's still really high. Yeah. Like, I still really love it. I had, a, I had a great time watching this movie. I like watching it. There's a lot to chew on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to think about and there's a lot to feel. Uh, and totally, as you were saying, like, the reason Kiki's Livery Service and Totoro are so fantastic to watch with our kids is, like, you can watch it as a two-year-old, but now our oldest is nine, and she's watching this adolescence coming-of-age story, and she's experiencing it so differently from what she did when she was two. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine we will still watch Kiki's Delivery Service when, you know, she's 13. And it'll all mean different things to her then, too. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot out of vicariously experiencing that with her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just for myself, like, watching, I still get an awful lot out of it. How many movies are there that you can that are gentle enough to watch with your two-year-old but complex enough to really challenge you on a tenth watch yeah exactly exactly i don't know studio ghibli movies yeah and for that i think kiki's delivery service actually is does that better than totoro Mm -hmm. 
there's a little more beneath the surface here, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I I really enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got things out of it this time that I hadn't before, which was surprising to me. But when I watch, when we watch things now, I'm, you know, my, my eyes and ears are much more open for like our knowing we're going to podcast about it. And so it's interesting how much I can get out of a movie in a different way. And this time I definitely, the deeper themes were meaningful to me. Um, should we just mention that we think we podcasted about this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watching this movie... Both of us had this, like, feeling of deja vu, right? Yeah. Not for watching the movie, but for, like, as moments passed, we were like, oh, this is what we're going to say and way too seriously about this moment. I think that we did a podcast about uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, but never released it. And I think maybe, like, there was something wrong with the audio, it has been on our list of, like, movie to watch next for, like, a year. Yeah, I think just, it was, like, in the early days of Way Too Seriously, we recorded it and it failed or something. Or it was, like, maybe it was our test episode. Yeah. And we recorded it, like, on one of our phones or something. And then it's, we were like, well, we'll get back to it later. Yeah. And we finally are. And I don't remember all of the things that we said, but I do remember moments and being like, we've definitely had a conversation about this moment. Yeah. So it feels like, even though we're not exactly sure what happened, it feels like Kiki's Delivery Service was one of the ones that made us want to do this podcast to begin with. Yeah, I think so. Because we had this huge conversation that was we could get into so much depth, and we thought, well, let's do a podcast about this. So, like, the theories are either we actually recorded it and it failed, or the other thing that may have happened is we just, like, had a really good conversation about it, and after that conversation, we're like, we should be recording these conversations because yeah. they're so insightful. <laughs> Everyone needs to listen to us. <laughs> and that's why we're here. Yep. So, should we get into the way, 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 way part of our show? I really think we should. Okay. <laughs> what do you want to take way too seriously about Kiki? Well, I feel like maybe we should uh, start with some of our common... Uh, topics. Mm -hmm. How, what, I mean, like, does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Super does. Does it pass the gender swapped Bechdel test? Possibly not. I don't think it does. The cat and the baker man. Don't have a conversation. <laughs> talk to each other. They make eyes at each other. That's true. They make eyes at each other. They don't actually talk to each other. And like the gender swap Bechdel test is <laughs> so not a thing. I'm only saying, I'm not saying that like it should because equality is important. I'm saying that like. <laughs> equality is important, Paul. <laughs> equality is important and gender equality representation in movies will become important when you have made as many movies where most of the cast is female as already exists where most of the cast is male. Yes, I know. Which is to say, you know, start now and talk to me in 80 years. Yeah. But I'm just, but, but I just put it in that way to be like, so much of the cast is female in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
except for Tombo, all of the cast that matters. And Gigi. Tombo and Gigi. And it's not just that there are a lot of characters in this movie who are female. Like, this is a movie about girlhood. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You called it a coming-of-age movie, and it very much is. And it, I think about, like, coming-of-age movies as a genre, and it is almost always a boy's coming-of-age movie. And when it's a girl's coming-of-age movie, it's like coming-of-age and making peace with her father. Hmm. Yeah. You know, not oh. always, but, like, very often. Mm-hmm. And this is just a movie about... Uh, girls and women and how a girl becomes a woman. Mm-hmm. So I like it for that. Yeah. I like it for that because of representation and also because of variety of stories that I get to watch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In terms of race, it's a bit complicated, I would say, just because, of course, originally it's Japanese. Yeah. So everyone who's involved in it is Japanese is that's who all records the original uh, the original voices. Mm-hmm. However, the English dubbing is all pretty white. It is. So that's a thing. So that's a thing. Could have maybe gotten some other voice actors. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's basically all there is to say about that. I think so. Because it's a bit, yeah. I don't know exactly what to say about an anime. Yeah, agree. I find myself a bit at a loss about, uh, and maybe it's my own ignorance, but uh, I find myself at a bit of a loss about how to talk about representations of race in an anime. Yeah. Because not everyone in this movie is depicted as uh, ethnically Japanese. No. I don't think any of them are. Right? And we talked about this a little bit, that like, the architecture and such, it doesn't look like it's set in Japan. No, I don't think it is. I don't think it's supposed to be. No. I don't know that it's supposed to be set anywhere in the real world. Mm-hmm. And it's not set in a real world that is a mirror of Japan. No, definitely not. Um, so the characters depicted on screen, I'm not really sure what they're what the racial representation on screen is meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, we're at a loss, and that's okay. Let's just yeah, move on from that. Let's move on from that. Um, what do you think about uh, Kiki and Tombo's relationship? It's mostly just friendship. I like that. I like that it's a friendship, and there's a little kind of a bit of romance under the surface. But not on her end. Well, maybe not. I mean, a little bit. The, like... The blushing and the... The blushing, the not wanting to talk to him, and then when, like, she's sick and Osano is, like, he wanted to come visit you, and she's like, no! (laughs) That's a little bit of the shyness of a possible, like... Yeah, it's also the shyness of a boy and and more of a stranger. Yes. But yes, that's true. It's sweet. I agree. It's a sweet relationship, and it's mostly just like their friendship. They're like, she's 13, and she has a friend who's a boy, and it's there's a little bit of like, maybe there's... I feel like there's a societal pressure to be 
romantic at that age. But in reality, they just want to have some fun together. And like, he wants to teach her about flying. And he's like, you can fly. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I want to hang out with you and be friends with you. I think one of the things that's happening in this movie is that uh, they both, and especially she, is at an age and a stage in life where her relationship with everybody is tenuous. Mm, She doesn't know how to navigate it anymore because it isn't like what it used to be. And that's symbolized by, you know, her moving to a new town and being without her parents at all. It's symbolized by her uh, broom is like her... Uh, her, it sets her apart from everyone else and it's connected to her childhood. And as she matures, she loses her magic because the things that came naturally to her don't anymore. And she mm-hmm. has to kind of find a new place in the world. And so the, the flying, uh, is symbolic of her as, uh, Ursula, the artist says, like the flying is symbolic of what, of her inner self mm-hmm. and part of maturity is often losing your inner self and having to rediscover it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that goes for all the relationships with everyone. It goes for her relationship with Osano, that like she has, she treats her kind of like she's her mom, but kind of like she's not, and she's not, she's unsure how to navigate that. Mm -hmm. It goes for her relationship with Ursula, who like, is she a peer or is she an adult that she's not a peer with? She's not really sure how to navigate that. And it goes for her relationship with Tombo that like, is he just a boy or is he a friend, a boyfriend? Is it okay for a boy to talk to her or is it not? Does she want to go to a party with him or not? And like, I don't think that the movie makes much of that text, Mm -hmm. but I think it's all there. Like the possibility that this might become a romantic relationship is subtext of like, why she's uncomfortable in this relationship yeah, is because definitely. it's a new kind, it's possibly a new kind of relationship that she doesn't know how to navigate it ni- anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But the text of it, I agree. I really like, I feel like uh, you said there's a little bit of romantic possibility there, but not from her. And I feel like it's the opposite. He's like, you're really cool and you can fly. Let's hang out and be friends. I don't feel like he is courting her. I think him inviting her to the party and coming like in a suit and waiting outside for her. Maybe. Is a little bit courting. Yeah, maybe. But but you, you make a good point. I think he is more pursuing friendship. He's pursuing friendship with someone who is, he likes to fly and she can fly. Yeah, exactly. He thinks she's the coolest and he wants to like her to take him flying. Uh, and if flying is symbolic of her inner self, then it's symbolic of like he sees something in her that he wants to get to know better, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the most romantic kind of romance. That is true. Good point. All that said, though, I really like their relationship as it's depicted, and I agree it has an innocence that I often miss in child in boy girl relationships on film in animated movies yes exactly and it's uh and it makes it not as much the the heteronormativity because it's it's friendship and it's not necessarily prescribed 
with heteronormative values. Yep. Agreed. Speaking of which, there is the old woman that she goes to make a pie with. Yeah. And her live-in companion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, are they lesbians? (laughs) I mean, probably not. Because probably it's like... Her, it's like her maid or like yeah. her caretaker of some kind. But Both I think there's it. room in there to to feel like mm, they're roommates with big air quotes around roommates. <laughs> there are a couple of old maid roommates who have lived together for their entire lives. Bartha Confirmed bachelor. <laughs> calls her madam. Yes, that's true. It's translated. Yeah. So she calls her a term of respect. Yes. And Madam does, like, order Bar- Barsa around quite a bit. Yes. But politely, mm-hmm. with lots of pleases, and there's clearly affection. Yeah. I think we are definitely, uh, have enough to read that as a romantic relationship if we want to. Yeah. I think if you wanted to see it there, it's easy to. Yep. And if you want to say, no, definitely not, uh, maybe. I don't think that there is grounds to say definitely not. Yeah, exactly. I think there's grounds, strong grounds to say uh, Barca is her employee. Yeah. But there's also grounds to say maybe not. Also, Ursula. Yeah. Is. Tell me about Ursula. I mean, she's just this woman living off in the woods by herself, painting things. She's very uh, coded masculine, especially in Japan. Yeah. She is very much in control of her own life, in control of her own destiny. She's an artist. She's uh, just like, this is like a queer witch in the woods kind of thing. To me, I mean, she's not a witch because that's what Kiki is, but... But she textually equates painting and magic. Yeah, exactly. Being a painter is like being a witch that's text. Yeah. So I just feel like there's a lot of... uh, You can read a lot of LGBT things into Kiki without much trouble. Yeah, I agree with that. And even Kiki herself... uh, like being a witch and dressing, for example, that they dress differently. Mm-hmm. So she is visibly other. Yes, exactly. The moment anyone sees her, they know that something is different about her. And whether you want that to be a metaphor for sexuality or for race or for disability or for whatever, it is a metaphor for otherness. Yeah. She's a witch, so she's other. That puts her on the outside. She's visibly other. And that's partly a metaphor for adolescence. And when you're an adolescent, you feel like you're on the outside of everything, even though you're not really. Mm-hmm. But Kiki is actually different. She yeah. is literally the only witch in her town. Yeah, but it's metaphorical. It's a metaphorical representation of real lived experience. Yes. So... Everybody feels like Kiki, even though 
no one else is. Yes, that's true. No one else is actually the only witch in their town, but everybody feels like it. Yeah. You might be. You might be. I don't know. If you're the only witch in your town, and by that I mean uh, you have the magical power to fly and deliver baked goods. Oh, can someone with the magical power to fly and deliver baked goods please come to our door and deliver baked goods? <laughs> All the bread in this movie <laughs> looks really good. All the food in this movie looks surprisingly good. I looked up trivia about this movie, and uh, I have to include it now. The name of the bakery, apparently, is an untranslatable pun in Japanese that combines rock, paper, scissors, and bread. <laughs> so, like, the scissors part of rock, paper, scissors sounds like bread or something. So it's like rock, paper, scissors, bread, but that's a pun in Japanese. That's fun. Yeah. It's something. I think it's always cool when things just like, I'm sorry, we cannot translate this. <laughs> You're it, just missing but it. It's, but it's funny in my language. Yeah. Because, <laughs> man, there's a lot of that in English. So what, I mean, what do we think in this movie? I have a couple of other kind of uh, ideas and issues in this movie I want to talk over with you. Mm-hmm. What do we make of all the, of the ungrateful children in this movie? Is there more than one? There are two. Kiki does two deliveries for an first an aunt who wants to give a present to her nephew on his birthday. And she delivers the cat in a cage who is a stuffed cat and then looks like Gigi. And then Gigi is, uh, pretends to be the cat. And the nephew is like, oh, this is stupid. Mm, right. And then she delivers the herring pie to the girl who. No, oh, she's super ungrateful. It's like, Grandma's stupid herring pie that I don't like. Yeah. And there's also the uh, witch that Kiki meets who isn't ungrateful, but is another, like... Oh, yeah, she's Kiki's ears are sucky. Yeah. She... The kid with... Who gets Gigi as a present, or the cat who looks like Gigi as a present... Look, is ungrateful kind of, but like is actually playing with the cat a little bit and is happy with it in the end. And so there's a little bit of ungratitude, but generally they, that kid is, is very young and does like it after all. But the girl who gets the herring pie is just straight up horrible. Mm-hmm. She is so cruel and so bratty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is maybe a little bit Miyazaki can be sometimes old man yells at cloud. (laughs) You know, he is like kids these days. They don't respect their elders and I'm going to show that. So I think there's just a little bit of being upset about ungrateful children and portraying that on film. And Kiki is an example of a well-behaved and respectful exactly. child who you children watching this movie be like Kiki be and like not Kiki. like the ungrateful, spoiled kids. Yeah, exactly. And even more than that, uh, Kiki is also seen by Tombo as old-fashioned for yeah. wanting someone to introduce them before she tells him her name. And that brings us to another thing that, like, one of the themes of this movie is... Uh, tradition and modernity Mm -hmm. so like the stove for example that the old woman 
wants to bake a herring pie in the electric stove and it's no good. And she, Kiki, builds a wood fire in a wood stove instead. It's just one example. But yeah. uh, there's others. Like, even the fact the dirigible is a menace. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Kiki's more old-fashioned. She comes from more, more old-fashioned values. She's more uses more old-fashioned technology and the movie... She- She's constantly running into traffic because the traffic in this town is way more than she expects. And there's a sense in the movie of preferring the traditional and old-fashioned over the modern. Yeah, absolutely. But maybe in the end, does it come to a conclusion about that at all? Well, I mean, it's not straightforward and simple, right? Because Kiki also has her radio. Mm -hmm. And the snobby witch that she meets wants her to turn off her radio. So at that point, Kiki is the one who represents modernity and the snobby witch is the traditionalist. Mm, Yes, that's true. There's also another question I have about this movie to talk about in way too seriously terms, not as a problem, but just as a question. Mm -hmm. Why does Kiki lose her ability to fly? I think that Ursula is right. Mm-hmm. She talks about it being like writer's block, basically, that she's blocked because she doesn't know herself. Right. That she's just going through a time of trial and she needs to just relax and not think about it and she'll get through it. It's also funny that, like, flying is the only thing she's good at. And she's not very good at flying. I know. (laughs) She runs into trees and buildings and she's not like elegant at flying at all. No. She's fairly terrible at it, but it's the one thing she's good at. And even on the way to town, she, you know, is all, when she's talking to that other witch, she keeps wobbling and trying to turn off her radio is hard. And the other witch, like, just effortlessly flies around her. Mm-hmm. So at the end, when she's trying to rescue Tombo and she has trouble controlling her broom, like, that's not a new thing. Yeah, that's exactly. That's been how she's flown since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we see that when the geese, you know, the wind comes and blows all the geese off course and it blows Kiki down. Yeah. Wouldn't have blown that pigtailed witch down. Yeah, it's true. I really like that Kiki's one talent isn't really it talent because we see so much the like the message that ursula gives of like the one thing that is truly you is what what motivates you and we see so much the like and that's your one skill that you're better at than anyone else in the world and Mm -hmm. you are a superstar at and we don't see but i think it's important to see because it's much more people's experience you might not be great at it Yep. But it makes you feel like yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, doesn't mean it has to be something that you're better at than any other person ever has been. It can just be something that you're better at than you are at anything else. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot in movies of kids kids of people being good at things right away and it's kind of a bad message to send to kids because kids are terrible at everything (laughs) (laughs) they don't know how to do anything they have to learn and they have to practice to get better and 
it's better to see that like, hey, there are things you're not good at, but you can practice them. And that flying like painting is not something that either Ursula or Kiki just are good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They both work really hard to be good at things. Ursula says that Kiki will discover how to fly again when she discovers what her motivation is and why she's flying. Hmm. So why is she flying? What is her motivation? What has she discovered by the end of the movie? No, to be helpful, to help others. Hmm. That I think that she got caught up in it being a delivery service and not and a business and not her... Uh, what's the word? Burn? No. What's the word? Like her passion. Hmm. It. She forgot about her pa- that it was her passion. I think. And we start out. Her first delivery is, "Oh, I can bring that to you. It's right there." It's mm-hmm. just trying to be helpful, and it's not the moment. It's not the last thing she does, but the like. When she delivers that herring pie and the girl is so ungrateful. Yeah. That's a real blow to her. Yeah, it really is. That I think uh, culminates in her losing the ability to fly. Mm -hmm. And then breaking her broom. And then breaking her broom. That she kind of loses her ability and she's trying to get it back. And then she falls and breaks her broom and it's her mother's broom. Mm -hmm. And she just doesn't even know how to recover from that at all. The girl being ungrateful is about external uh, validation of her helpfulness. Mm. She's helpful and the old woman was super grateful and she's like, yeah, someone, everybody loves me for being helpful. And then she delivers the pie and the girl she delivers to it is like, I don't even like it, go away. And she's like, oh, not everybody likes me for being helpful. Being helpful doesn't get people to appreciate me. Mm-hmm. So she has to rediscover that she's not helpful so that people will praise her. She's helpful so that she can help people. Yeah. And her friend was in trouble. And her friend was in trouble. And so she found the strength that she needed in that in that moment because her friend was in trouble. And wouldn't we all? Why does Kiki... Why does Gigi stop talking? And this is a two-part question. Was Kiki always the only one who could hear Gigi? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, Gigi doesn't talk to anyone else. We never see anyone else talking or interacting with Gigi. Yeah. So it always is, Kiki can understand Gigi, but as far as everyone else is concerned, Gigi is a cat who meows. Yeah. Right? Because it's, she's like, it's her black cat. She's a witch. It's yeah. like her familiar. She can hear. She can understand Gigi. Just that's what I think. That's what I assume too. But let's just like get yeah. that established. So when Gigi stops talking to her, I think Gigi is doing the same thing Gigi has always done. Hmm. But there's a point to be made where Gigi has gone off and found like the cat next door to hang out with, and so maybe yep. it's part of. Both of them growing up and growing apart. Yeah. And that's why Gigi doesn't talk again at the end of the movie. And this is a thing like, do you want to tell us about Gigi talking at the end of the movie? Um, yes. 
Because <laughs> I only know it because you told me. So in the original Japanese film, Gigi does not talk again at the end. In When they first dubbed it into English, uh, in the, Dis- the Disney dub into English, they did have him talk again. And they added quite a few extra things. Like there's moments of silence in this movie. And in the original, when they changed it originally into the Disney version, they added music and exciting things there. And then in 2010, when they released it again, they took those out. They went back to the original. That went back to the original Japanese silence, hmm. and they took Gigi's last line out. Right. And I think that was a good choice. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, let's talk about Gigi first, but uh, the silences. Mm-hmm. But Gigi, so in the in 1998, Gigi talks at the end, but in both the Japanese original and in the version that we watched, which was the re-release, Gigi never talks again. Yeah. So if, why doesn't Gigi ever talk again? If it Gigi not talking is connected to Kiki losing her magic to fly, then he would talk again at the end. But him not talking at the end is because perhaps what you said, like, it's about him growing up as well as her growing up, and their connection was a childish one. It's also ambiguous. Yeah. It leaves it up to our imagination, and so we could know. We could say, hey, he does talk when the movie's over. It's ambiguous on purpose. Hmm. whether she understands him or not anymore. I think that uh, you're right, that it's a loss of childhood. It's, I mean, it's Totoro. You only see him when you're very young. Young witch only understands her cat when she's very young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That for Miyazaki, there's something magical about childhood. Yes. And... If you are careful and also lucky, you can sometimes remember that and sometimes even retain it. Mm-hmm. But you can never continue to experience it in the same way you did. Yeah. Childhood is magical. Right? Yeah, exactly. And that's Totoro and it's Kiki. Mm-hmm. And she's grown into something different and it has its own goodness, but it isn't what it was. Yeah. That's my read on she doesn't talk to Gigi ever again. That's sad. It is sad. Like, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. Those silences. Yes. I love them. Yeah, me too. I'm so, I can't imagine how much poorer the movie was when they added, like, dramatic mu- music at that moment. Mm-hmm. Especially... And there's the two silences. The one is when she's uh, sitting on the broom, getting ready to fly. Mm-hmm. What's the other one? It's in this, like, close to the same moment. It's when uh, Tombo drops. Right. Just before she catches him. Right. And so that's a classic movie thing of like, <gasps> and then, yay, she caught him. So that one's all well and good. Mm-hmm. But the silence when she's sitting there, Gathering her strength to fly, mm-hmm. I think, is inspired. Yeah, exactly. And it's 
it makes you pay attention to the visuals. And the visuals are, I mean, it's the hair that emotes. <laughs> it's the, like, her hair just, like, floofs all out. And the broom does the same thing. And, like, it's, like, everything is in the world has stopped so that she can gather her strength and fly again. Well, and it really makes it about gathering inner strength. Yes, exactly. It makes me think of the musical Matilda. Mm. Where there's a part where... uh when Matilda in the musical gets her magic powers, her song is silent and she is like, everything's loud and everything's so, and then suddenly everything goes quiet and I am in the eye of the storm. And it's this moment in Matilda of like discovering some inner peace in a world of outer turmoil, mm -hmm. which is exactly what Kiki has to do to fly. Like it's so different from the way, from like, Crescendo music is like, you know, when you really need to, suddenly you can do it. And it's a little bit different from that because it is because she really needs to, but the need is not what makes her be able to fly. The need is what motivates her to find the inner strength to fly. Mm -hmm. Inner strength is what allows her to fly. And the silence, I think, symbolizes that she's yeah. going inward. Yeah, absolutely. It's a beautiful silence. There's a moment I want to, I know we're going long, but there's a moment that <laughs> I know we talked about whenever we first recorded this. <laughs> and so I want to bring it back up again here at the end. And that's when she first, without really knowing what we said last time, but I'm, you said something, you don't have to try to reproduce it. No. Uh, when Kiki first arrives and she's in Osono's house and she goes down to use the outhouse and the baker comes out and is like flexing mm -hmm. and she like shriek, she like gasps and hides in the outhouse. That's a moment that like, yeah, what, what do we make of that moment? It's a part of the coming of age. Mm -hmm. It's uh she's in her pajamas. Mm -hmm. She's in her out her nightgown and she doesn't want a grown-up man to see her like that. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want uh him to know that she's there. Mm -hmm. That like him coming out and doing like some exercises is like it's embarrassing yeah. for him to know that she was there. Embarrassing that she was in the bathroom. Yeah. At that age. And it's just very True life. Yeah. It's exactly what a 13-year-old girl would do, is if she's coming out of an outhouse and she sees a man that she barely knows outside of it, she's not going to come out until he's gone. And he's such an adult man. Mm-hmm. Like, he's very muscly. Yeah. And he's doing muscly things. And she feels so small. Mm-hmm. Ah. Uh, I think the pajamas, too, are like, it's one of these things where... Kids don't, let me tell you, kids don't care if you see them in their pajamas. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, until they do. Until they're self-conscious about it, yeah. Until they care so much, and it is really not okay for people to see me in my pajamas. Yep, exactly, exactly. And, like, outhouse, too, and everything about that. Mm-hmm. That, like, I don't, I don't think it's a moment that is, uh... 
it's it's kind of typical of what I was saying before. Like it's a moment that doesn't really uh, do anything obvious for the story. But there's so many of those moments that are like why this movie is worth watching. Mm-hmm. She feels so vulnerable in that moment. And not just, and by that I mean both, she feels, it feels to me like she is so vulnerable as a viewer. Mm-hmm. And also I mean, she feels like she is so vulnerable. Which yeah. are two different things, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But they're both there they're and both she there. feels, she's so, uh, like Asana is, is so helpful and nurturing and supportive, but then she's there alone mm-hmm. in a place that isn't her home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, is it good? Is it seriously good? Yep. It's good? <laughs> yep. It's good? It's seriously good. I think so. I can't find any problems with it. It is a seriously good movie. It is. Awesome. Yeah, I don't have... I think this is our shortest debate ever. Mm -hmm. Or one of. I recently tweeted a list of all of our good and seriously good movies, and there was about 13 or 14 on it, and this is another one we can add to that list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is definitely both good and seriously good, and it's quite good and Mm -hmm. quite seriously good. So if you have things to say about Kiki's Delivery Service or you want to tell us what your favorite Miyazaki movie is, mm-hmm. if it's this one, if it's a different one, if it's uh, Ponyo, which we watched but didn't talk about, yeah, um, you can get in touch with us. How would one do that, Paul? You can find us on Twitter at WTScast. That's where we're most active. You can send us an email, waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Reddit and Instagram, and there will be links to those things in the show notes. If you like this show, tell your friends. Don't, don't, uh, for this week, don't rate and review us on iTunes. Instead, tell your real-life friends who like movies and talking about them that, hey, there's this podcast where they talk about movies. <laughs> That's your homework for the week. <laughs> Not homework, no. That's your your good deed of the day. That's how you, like Kiki, can be truly helpful for the purpose of being helpful. There you go. And if you want to be uh, really helpful, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And I don't really have any skills except podcasting, so I thought maybe I would start a podcasting service. <laughs> <laughs>